This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Blue Wire. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. For the Celtics, goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in a Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down. Let's throw it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you doing? Pretty good, Tom. Happy Father's Day. It is Sunday, and Tom is a father. I am a father. Thank you very much. Going to play with my kid in the sprinkler a bunch. It'll be a a nice afternoon. It's about 100 degrees outside (laughs) and about 106 degrees inside for us because we don't have air conditioning yet. So it's a good time. It being Father's Day, we wanted to uh, talk a little, uh, little Celtics father stuff. You've seen Deuce uh, hanging around in the uh, in the hallways and everything. Deuce is Jason Tatum Jr., Jason Tatum's son. Any any cute stories that you can uh, can recall off the top of your head about Deuce running around back there? I don't know if there's anything specific, but Deuce has basically reached like celebrity status at the Garden. Like when the game is over, if Tatum's doing a post game interview. Deuce will often run out onto the court or be waiting in the wings for Tatum to grab him as he walks off the court. And then people are so eager to high-five Deuce, almost as eager as they are to high-five Tatum. So I think it's just cute how popular he is and how much the fan base has embraced him almost as if he's like a player. Yeah. And then there was that one time where he did end up in the locker room and was like brushing his hair and Javante was holding him for a little bit because Javante and Tatum's lockers are next to each other and then he crashed Tatum's post-game scrum he like deuce crashed through, yeah to be clear, not Javante yeah. <laughs> deuce like waded through the reporters and Tatum picked him up so that was really cute yeah deuce is a lot of fun but to your point I I, I remember uh Justin Aus Celtics fan on Twitter came over from Australia to a Celtics game this year and he was excited to get to be in the garden for his first time and get to like see the Celtics. The thing afterward that he was like most excited about when he was talking to me and John Corrales was that uh, he had gotten to high five Deuce. He was just like, yeah, he like reached his hand out right away. Like it sounds like Deuce is getting pretty used to his celebrity. 
which I, yeah. I respect in a two-year-old. Like he's like, you know, people are reaching out and he's just like, yeah, this is what I do. They take advantage of it too. Like the NBA, when Tatum found out he was an all-star, Deuce wore that shirt that said like, my daddy's an all-star. Yeah. <laughs> Walked into the training room. So they know how to use Deuce for the spotlight and Deuce doesn't seem opposed to it either. <laughs> Not a bit. No, he's fun. Deuce is always hanging around, which is always entertaining. On a not Deuce story, I was kind of walking around in the hallways underneath the garden, and I'm turning a corner and I'm talking to Corrales, and I don't remember exactly the phrase I used, but I cursed really loudly as I was doing that. Gordon Hayward's wife and two girls were walking around the corner, and like the girls were just looking at me, like quite clearly <laughs> had heard what I had said and was wondering why the angry guy was saying things loudly. So. I later apologized to Gordon. It was just like, your girls may have learned a curse word from me. They're around a little bit more often, I feel like, this season. Maybe because they're like a little bit older. Or also Gordon is playing more. Yeah, right. But they've started coming out for his like pregame warm-up. They'll yeah. like, sit courtside with Robin. And at the end, Gordon will do dribbling drills. Or like very obviously basic. She's five, I think, with the older one, Bernie. Um, which is really cute. And then... He'll do this thing with a high five where he'll just hold it like higher and higher and higher. And she like has this huge running start to get it. And she never can reach the actual height he starts it at. He like just moves his hand down and she thinks she gets it. But it's really cute. It sounds like the older one is into sports. So I'm sure that makes Gordon happy. Though they are having a boy now too. So <laughs> like for all of the uh, daddy's always happy jokes, Gordon has really embraced, I think, being a girl dad. When he broke his hand earlier this year, he let them decorate all his, uh, his cast right. all pink and with stickers and stuff. I, I think that Gordon really enjoys the girls, which is fun to watch for sure. Yeah. I, I also really enjoyed writing a story about Javante Green earlier this year. He played overseas for years and was just desperate to get to the NBA because he's got two daughters uh, who were living in Virginia. And, you know, he, he wanted really badly to be a, a short drive away from the girls instead of, you know, a long overseas flight. I was, I was really happy for Javante when he made the Celtics this year because of that. You know, it's, it's interesting watching the, like, assistant coaches' kids play mm -hmm. basketball because they're always, like, a little bit older. You know, they're, like, maybe young teenagers, like that kind of thing. I was talking to Jay Laranaga one time about that, and he, he said that Brad Stevens' kid, Brady, is nasty. That he's just, yeah. like, a really good basketball player. That'll be fun to watch. I'm curious if Brady starts, like, playing well or if he starts hitting, like, the AAU circuit and stuff like that, if we'll ever get, like, Brad to open up about coaching his own kid. Brady has been around a little bit more. I remember one time at the practice facility, he was just drilling NBA threes. Yeah. He's like 14. <laughs> yeah. I asked Micah Shrewsbury about it one time about coaching, you know, your kids, like you're an NBA coach. Like, do they realize how lucky they are? Like, you know, are they going to grow up to be really good? And he was like, well, the thing is we can coach them. We can show them how to do everything. But like a big part of making the NBA is also like genetic. Like you need to be somewhere between 6'3 and like 6'11 and you need to be very athletic and very fast and everything. So I'm sure that the assistant coaches kids will be very well drilled and we'll see if, if any of them go beyond that, I guess. It is um, kind of nice that they have like that little community though. Like I know Brad's kid is really good friends with Jay's kid and they yeah. think they do still keep in touch with Micah's son. That is nice that they all can sort of hang out with each other. And Kinsley, Brad's daughter, was around a few times and asked that infamous question in the post-game press conference. She was like, who's your favorite child? <laughs> and Brad like knew it was coming. So I'm sure he gets asked that like on a yeah. basis at home. <laughs> So it's always nice when the kids are around because they always just, I don't know, inject some like youthful energy. In other news, the NBA is uh, still trying to come back, still trying to come back to Florida, and Florida is not cooperating. Uh, Nicole, why don't you give us a little rundown of everything that's been going on? 
Yeah, so today's Sunday. Yesterday, Florida posted a record high for the third consecutive day. There were over 4,000 new cases on Saturday, which broke the previous single-day record of 3,800. This is all not very good. Also on Friday, the Phillies had to shut down their spring training camp. The Tampa Bay Lightning had to shut down their practice facilities. And the Toronto Blue Jays had to shut down their spring training facilities. And the Phillies and the Blue Jays, both of their spring training facilities are in Florida. So not great news. Zach Lowe and Baxter Holmes wrote a story for ESPN that said that NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has acknowledged the spiking numbers in Florida, but Silver still expressed a resolve to go on and that he's confident in the league's bubble concept. So I think we're approaching the date. Do you have the date, Tom, of when players are supposed to go to Orlando? From July 1 to 9, um, I believe it's eight people will be allowed in the practice facility. And then after that, locally, right? that's all locally. And then after July 9, they travel to Orlando. Yeah. So they have two weeks to, I guess, monitor the situation. I mean, I don't think they really can do anything other than cancel it, which just still doesn't seem on the table, in my opinion. No. But there's no way that they're going to, like the Red Sox, for example, have actually now received the okay to have their spring training in Boston as opposed to Florida. See, that's the wild part is I feel like now the cities that were like at the time when they were making all these plans, Massachusetts is off the charts, definitely a hot spot for the virus. Like there's no way we could play basketball or any sport here. But now Massachusetts is, I mean, it's obviously not perfect, but relatively is doing pretty well in terms of yeah. cases are going down and things like that. Florida at the time, I'm sure looked like a good option and now is doing what it's doing. So one thing that I think is interesting is part of the reason that the NBA was looking at the locations it was looking in was because those were states that opened up early enough and said, hey, pro sports are allowed to be here. So Florida was obviously an early adopter, an early reopener, and here we are. (laughs) It's interesting that all the places that the NBA was considering are now hotspots, but the reason that that's the case is just because they reopened too early and they offered leagues to come back a little too early, and it feels like that was maybe predictable on the NBA's end. Another thing that I would say, too, is just the case numbers in Orlando – I'm curious, like, how much they actually, like, change the equation. Because, like, the NBA was always saying, we think that a couple people are going to get sick. You know, they were always saying, like, a couple people getting sick isn't going to derail what we're trying to do here. Obviously, I've been on team, they should shut it down. In this instance, I'm not sure how much the rising numbers change the actual bubble concept itself. There were only going to be a few people let in and out. Those people might be sick, might not be sick. And I guess this raises the chances of them being sick a little bit. As much as the numbers are spiking, I'm curious, like, how much this would actually change, like, what an epidemiologist would say about the NBA's risk. Yeah, totally. I think, if anything, this will encourage them to hopefully institute a little bit stricter policy regarding those employees that are going to be going in and out of the bubble. Yeah. And just monitoring that more carefully, because technically speaking, that's the only way that the virus would infiltrate the bubble if they really do abide by the exactly like if you do abide by the idea they're presenting and if everybody follows the rules and things like that and if nobody comes in with coronavirus all that stuff but if you can get everybody in with no coronavirus presumably that would be the only way is if like an employee came in with coronavirus and then gave it to one of the players or staff or whatever so i think maybe they just might 
implement stronger policies there or like maybe retain staff within the bubble or come up with something to just reduce the amount of exposure to the city of Orlando itself. It's definitely getting tricky. I mean, I guess the good news, if we're trying to look at the glass half full side, is that it is still in two weeks and it could 1000% devolve even into a more complicated situation or maybe the curve will flatten and the cases will go down. So it just depends on how the people of Florida are handling it, which they give us no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt there. But I just don't think that they will cancel it or push it back. I I mean, I think this is going to go ahead as scheduled. I mean, to me, the only news that might come out of this realistically is that we might get more players who are uncomfortable going or, you know, maybe a few more who are like going to drop off. But like, I know Ennis Cantor has said a bunch of times that there are stars who might or might not want to go, but. I, I don't know. I, I just have a hard time seeing any of the stars opting out. Like, I don't think LeBron James is going to opt out. Um, I don't think that, like, Giannis Antetokounmpo is, you know, like, I just, I, I think that it's just hard for me to imagine, you know, like a certain, I guess, class of player opting out of this. And as long as that's the case, I just don't see the NBA backing away from it. Unless stars start to back away, I don't think the NBA is going to. I have no idea what their train of thought. Right, and I'm not saying, like, let's predict, like, what guys are going to feel about coronavirus. That's not what I'm saying. I just think that, like, the only thing that's going to convince the NBA to back away is if the highest level stars do. I mean, the date that they have to tell the league is June 24th, so this week on Wednesday? No, nope. mm-hmm. Thursday? Thursday, yeah. So on Thursday, they will have to... Wednesday. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So on Wednesday, they will have to make their decision, which is also kind of crazy. Obviously, the media situation is probably at the last of the league's priority list. But I've been thinking myself, like, okay, like, would I want to go or would I not want to go if we are even given the option to? I feel like my answer was different like a week ago. And you aren't going to have the necessary information by Wednesday. You just aren't because of like what we said before the situation is just changing so much and maybe you'll say yes and the numbers will just continue to skyrocket or maybe you'll say no and then the city of Orlando did put in a mask ordinance like a mandatory mask rule so maybe with the help of that and the people see the numbers surging they'll actually take it seriously and the numbers might go down and then you'll feel more comfortable you know like I just feel like by June 24th they have to leave July 9th. Like, that's still a week and a half. That's so far um, away. Yeah. That things could really escalate or de-escalate. So that's, like, a really tough position to be in, I think, as a player. I agree. I, I mean, I'm curious. I think that maybe some middle ground the NBA could come to with its players is just moving that date back a little bit. If players are concerned, and those concerns are really valid, which clearly they are because everybody's getting sick in Florida – yeah just say like hey like we're gonna push back the day that you have to decide by by july 1 now do i think the nba is going to do that <laughs> uh, no because i think that the nba wants its stars to play like i i really do like maybe i'm wrong maybe it will like maybe this is something that the nba players association can uh push back on and and, and get some uh a little bit of extra time a little bit of extra breathing room here but unless the nba feels like a bunch of people are going to opt out because of the higher numbers i just I don't see the benefit to them giving players that extra time to, to sort of like think about it and start to get spooked. Yeah, I mean, I also am going to be curious as they start to ramp up even the local activity, what the numbers look like. Like, I don't know if you've been following the college football situation. 
my guess is the answer is no, just because it's college football. I've seen some things. I'm (laughs) I'm up on the college football. So they've been doing voluntary workouts. And in Kansas State, 14 athletes tested positive. Um, At Clemson, 23 football players tested positive. At LSU, at least 30 athletes are in quarantine after an undisclosed number of positive tests. It's becoming increasingly clear that, you know, as much as there have been a lot of guys who have been really smart and who have socially distanced and who have kind of like locked themselves up, you know, done all their workouts on the Peloton and maybe got in some like dribbling workouts and stuff like that. I think it's pretty clear that like not everybody has been doing that. And, you know, that was, I think, to be expected. You couldn't expect, you know, 450 people to all follow this protocol perfectly. Like, but it does seem like, you know, we're seeing videos of guys playing pickup. I think it's hard for us to maintain even though like things are exploding around the country again, I think it's hard to sort of maintain the same level of like diligence as, as this goes on. Like it just feels like, okay, we're through the worst of it when that clearly isn't the case. The other thing I'll say, I I think it's kind of messed up that the NBA is starting testing on the 23rd, I believe. And the date that players have to say whether or not they're going is the 24th, basically not leaving any time for test results to come back and for guys to like see how many people have been exposed um, around the NBA. Like, I I don't know. That doesn't sound like an accident to me that they set those dates like right next to each other like that. Yeah. And just to your first point, we've talked about this before, like the coronavirus is affecting cities differently. I mean, we're seeing that with sort of Boston's trajectory and then now what's happening in Florida, like every city or metropolitan area is sort of on their own path. And so somebody in Oklahoma city And whether they're going out to five-on-five pickup games or going out to a gym is different than somebody in L.A. or somebody in Orlando doing the exact same thing. It's hard to set these overarching rules when it might actually be safe to do some activity in this state but not do the same activity in another state. I mean, that's why Massachusetts was one of the last states to open their practice facilities for all sports teams because of the state that they were in in terms of the virus. So I think that will be interesting when the tests come back, if it is all from one particular team or one particular area of the country, or if it's a pretty proportionate, each team had like three or four guys. I would be curious to see what those numbers look like. I think that's going to be something that comes up again when the NBA is looking to start its 2020-2021 season. Because at that point, one of the big challenges is going to be is, like you said, there's going to be different cities that are epicenters, I think, unless the whole country is just swept by COVID, at which point, oh boy. But like, if it's just going to be certain epicenters, it's going to be like, okay, so right now Arizona is really going through it. So let's use them as an example. Would teams be able to travel to play the Phoenix Suns? Like, that seems like a bad idea. But at the same time, like, how else are you going to go about it? And obviously that's super far in the NBA's, you know, windshield. Like, they're not, they're not looking at that at all right now. Right now they're just trying to convince everybody to show up to Orlando. But I think that that will be kind of interesting is like, I wonder if until we have a vaccine or until, you know, there is like some kind of like good solution to all of this, if we are going to be in a situation where everything has to be kind of fluid, because three months from now, you don't know. I mean, three months from now, presumably, Florida will have, I mean, I hope, good Lord, three months from now, presumably, Florida will have like, you know, somewhat cleared its problem. And like, you know, a lot of people will be infected. And, and really, unfortunately, there'll 
probably be a lot of deaths, but you know, the numbers will start going down again. And at that point, unless our country does something really smart that we have shown absolutely no proclivity to doing up until this point, and, and has found like some kind of a way to actually social distance and make sure that everybody's like safe, this is going to keep happening. And it's probably going to keep cropping up in different cities at different times. So, you know, for right now, yeah, I mean, it's a problem because the epicenter happens to be the place where they're going to play the games. But I think it's going to continue to be a problem until there's a real coronavirus solution because it's going to keep skipping around like that. Yeah, they definitely need a vaccine or something to get sports looking anywhere close to what it was before this. What do you the think? The NFL would disagree strongly, Nicole. <laughs> what do you think it would take just keeping with the Orlando bubble situation, like not long term? What do you think it would take? for the league to like shut this down? I mean, again, I don't think it's going to be numbers related. I think it's just going to be superstar related. I think it would require, and I, again, I, I hate to do this because it feels unfair, but like, you know, putting a name on it, like I, I think it would take like somebody like Giannis or somebody like LeBron, maybe somebody like Harden, but that, that even feels like a stretch. I think it would take like a super, super, superstar on a real contender saying, I'm not going, I'm not going to play. And even then, it's questionable. Like, I still think they might do it and just say, like, okay, that's fine, but we still need this for, like, the TV revenue. They can still get the TV revenue. They can still fulfill those contracts, even if it's just, like, all bench players against each other. Like, you can still make that back. So, like, I could see a scenario in which this is just a runaway train. Like, they were talking about replacement players a week ago. That's insane that they were talking about that, but it goes to show how important it is to the league that they fulfill these contracts. The concept of a replacement player doesn't really rub me that the wrong way that much, to be honest. I don't think there's going to be 100% participation, but I think that's okay. I think it makes sense why the league would still move forward without 100% participation, just given the circumstances. What would the reasoning be then, though? Like, why is that okay to you? Because I just don't think that... So the disclaimer is that health-wise, I think we both think that this is a bad idea. But if they're going to move forward with it, who cares at that point? Right. If you have 100%, it's going to be different at that point, but I don't think they care enough. I think they get the product off at that point. And like you said, it's the TV deals, it's filling the spots to just get whatever revenue you can from these fake playoffs. And it's just having that end. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't think they care about participation levels unless it's Giannis or LeBron backing out because that actually affects the ratings. But if like, I'm trying to think of like a random player without like offending anyone. But like if a random player just like, it's like, yeah, I'm not playing. Sorry. That's not going to, gonna. what's the phrase? Like move the needle. Whereas LeBron and Giannis and some other guys, they actually like influence people tuning in and stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Like as much as I respect everything that Avery Bradley has been saying about like the black lives matter movement, like, and he's totally right about like the distraction that basketball would be. I think he's an example of a guy where if he left, it would be like, and, and it's interesting because I think that Windhorse made this point. Bradley is a player who, if he left, it would hurt the Lakers. But, like, it's not close to enough for the league to, like, shut down. Whereas LeBron... And it would hurt the Lakers, but it wouldn't hurt the average fan tuning in. Max. Yes, exactly. So that's where the money comes from. So I think that's what they're focused on at this point. Yeah. I do yeah. want to say one other thing about Avery Bradley's message. I think that's also... We don't have to go super into Kyrie this week, but I think that's also 
why it's important that Kyrie Irving is speaking up, even though he's not playing. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody would be paying attention if it was just Avery Bradley saying this. He would get some praise because obviously it's a good point, but it would not get the publicity, in my opinion, it would not get the publicity that it has gotten if Kyrie weren't a leading voice in the conversation as well. Well, it's kind of an extension of why it matters that Chris Paul is the union president that a guy with that with like real clout like a real star but who also like obviously Chris Paul also knows the ins and the outs of you know the CBA and everything which is really important so um, I 100% agree with you on that I would also say so this kind of reminds me of like when I used to play in like bands a couple of my friends bands got signed to labels to these really bad deals where they had to produce X number of albums and stuff like that by like album three or whatever they would just be so sick of the label that they would just like put out some crap to like knock off the contract like, let me just pump some stuff out there basically so I can get back in the black. I feel like that's kind of like what the NBA is doing. It's like, we have these regional TV deals. We have these national TV deals, whatever it is. Like, it's just got to be something for people to watch. Let me get this out there. Let me put some games on TV between whoever will play. Hopefully that'll satisfy the regional TV markets and the national TV markets. And it doesn't matter what the product is so much. It mostly just matters that we have a product that we can sell, which truly inspiring stuff to watch. I can't wait to view it. <laughs> Okay, what about like health-wise though? Like, is there anything that could happen in that sphere? Like basketball-wise, I really don't think there's anything that could happen that could shut it down. Unless LeBron all of a sudden is like, I'm not playing or something. Even that though, I wonder if they're just going to trudge forward at this point. But health-wise, what do you think it would take to shut things down? Like, I don't think there's anything- Not to get super morbid. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) that's where I was going. I don't think there's anything that can shut it down before players show up. Like there, there's just nothing. And I, I, what I think could happen is a player or a coach, you know, somebody gets really, really sick and something bad happens. I think that's really realistically the only thing that could do it at this point, because like at that point, the NBA would have to, would have to do it. Like they, I don't think they would have any option. I think it would be a similar situation to when they suspended the league. Like they'll just be backed in a corner and even if they don't want to do it, like, remember when they were just sort of praised, like, oh, the NBA is so, like, they were so being aggressive about it. Sort yes, of like, exactly. Like, forward looking, like, no, nah, like, they just happened to be the ones who got, who had a player get sick. Like, if an NHL player had gotten sick and the NHL shut down, I think the NBA probably would have followed suit. No, I mean, we've been over that before. But yeah, the, <laughs> the plaudits that the NBA was getting at the time when, they, when everything shut down were uh, a little overwrought, I think. But that's what I imagine for this as well, is... Except this time, they would not be getting the plaudits for shutting everything down. Like, if somebody got really sick, they <laughs> would be point. hammered. That's a good point. And I think that's something the NBA should maybe consider a little more closely, is, like, if somebody gets really sick and somebody's, like, you know, in trouble, they are going to get smashed because it mattered to them that they were one of the leagues that came back early. Like, obviously, it sounds like the MLS is going to beat them back, but, like, you know, it mattered to them that they figured out a way to do this, you know, that they became one of the first ones to shut down and one of the first ones to come back. And like, if that's been their message and somebody gets really sick, they're going to get just put on a spike. And I think they're going to deserve it. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to talk this flippantly about health and things like that. But I feel like if a player does test positive and then experience like significant complications or gets hospitalized or whatever that almost saves other leagues from their own stupidity because they won't be moving forward with their plans either and it's similar like I see the parallels with the shutdown it's like all signs prior to Rudy Gobert's positive test were that they should have shut the league down like we didn't need the positive test everything we knew about the virus there was no way the league could go on 
Those stringent you know, six feet rules, though. I just. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, now 100%. all the signs are pointing to, okay, there's no way that we should do this, but they're going to do it until they literally can't. And no, I agree. It's, it's just a matter of if we get that, which obviously we hope we don't. You know, I, I keep coming back to this because I feel like it's important to say it's just like nothing would make me happier than if everybody got to like rub every take that I've had on this podcast and everything that I've tweeted back in my face and say, Tom, you were stupid. You were wrong. I hope I am. But it's just like trend wise, it doesn't look that way. Um, so another important deadline that's coming up this week is June 25th is when there are players who could be designated as excused players. That means that they are believed to be at higher risk for severe illness from coronavirus. They will not have their salary reduced at all if they opt not to play. So I think basically by Thursday of this week, we'll have a pretty good idea of what the rosters will look like from the existing players. And that will be basically at the middle of the transaction window for the team to sign new players. It's most likely that the Celtics add their two two-way guys to their roster, Tremont Waters and Taco Fall. We should clarify, even if nobody opts out voluntarily and even if nobody's an excused player, the Celtics, every NBA team will have an expanded roster to account if somebody yes. does test positive well at Orlando. So they can have two additional roster spots, but then if somebody does opt out or is considered excused, they could have even more options. I'm really curious how this is going to go, how this is going to be decided, because so the guys on two-way deals, their deal basically like runs out after the end of the regular season. If they wanted to be on a playoff roster, the, the team would have to sign them to a guaranteed deal. So I am curious like if the NBA will rework that somehow, because one of the things that was mentioned was two-way guys do count toward the 17 players that you're allowed to bring. I, I'm not certain what the situation is for those guys right now. So would the Celtics have to sign them to a guaranteed deal, like to just bring Tremont Waters and, and Taco Fall in on the minimum? And honestly, if you're the Celtics, I know that you really like Taco and I know he sells a lot of jerseys, but like, you know, he's not going to play. Like, you know, he's not going to play. So Taco is a project at this point. So if you believe that, that you might need to use those two players, do you sort of just kind of let Taco go right now? Keep Tremont Waters, who you think could play if you have point guard issues and maybe try to go get somebody that you think can help you this year. I don't know. They're going to face like an interesting question there because I think that Tremont is the only player, is the only player of the two of them who's, who's ready to play right now. The whole point of adding that additional roster spot is to have extra bodies in case you need them to play. Well, yeah. Also, just given like the Celtics roster and their style of play, it would make the most sense for them to bring a guard or a wing. And Which, to be clear, would be difficult to do. The Celtics style of play involves a lot of like switching and a lot of like being able to play multiple positions. And there are not too many guys who are currently unsigned that can do those things. So you know, it's not like you're going to go out and bring in Boogie Cousins and then expect him to play like multiple positions or something like that. Right. So I guess the advantage that Tremont and Taco both have are that they're familiar with the Celtic system. They're familiar with the guys, things like that. But in terms of the actual practicality, I agree with you. Maybe the spot could be used better elsewhere, but I'm also curious how this is going to work. So are Euroleague players even eligible? Because then they would have to come 
Euroleague players are not eligible. Okay. I believe you have to have either played in the NBA or the G League. Because I, I know that like the Celtics wouldn't be able to like try to bring in Shane Larkin or Nikola Mirotic, who oh. obviously played pretty well in the NBA and then decided to go to Spain. It does not sound like the guys like Mirotic or Shane Larkin would be available. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting. I think that there is something to the idea that like if you're the Celtics, and I, I know if you ask any of them, I don't know how whether they're telling the truth or not, but they like Taco. They, they think that like Taco's an NBA player. I think that the most likely scenario is that they bring Taco and Tremont and that they just kind of cross their fingers a little bit and, and hope that it, like, it doesn't get to a point. But the other thing is, too, this is going to be such a weird setup. I think there's players on the Celtics team who could just kind of – like they could just throw some weird lineups out there if things got too strange. Like Jalen Brown played some center for Team USA. Like I know that's not like a perfect one-to-one comparison, but like this whole thing is yeah. going to be strange anyway. This whole I mean, thing is going to be an asterisk. You might as Marcus- well just try some stuff. Marcus Smart says he's a stretch six, so. Marcus Smart defends Giannis and Chris Stapps better than, yeah, most players on the Celtics roster, so yeah. No, I agree. Depending on, that's the, I guess, one of the benefits for the Celtics is they do have a very versatile roster, and their players are very much not, like, tied to their position. Players aren't tied to their position, they, and they also have two prospects as two-way players, so I don't think they want to give those guys up. I don't think they're ready to just, like, toss them to the side by any stretch of the imagination. And as long as that's the case, it is going to benefit them that they have a lot of guys who can do a lot of different things. That also raises an interesting question. So say they didn't bring Taco, would that then make Taco eligible for a different right. team? Yes, because that would mean that his two-way contract had run out. So he would, I think he would just be a free agent. So I feel like that's almost the reason why you would want to hold on to them. Is exactly, because- yes they would just end up at a different organization. Like Taco and Tremont are, I mean, Tremont just won G League Rookie of the Year. Yeah, Um, Tremont's not going anywhere. They're hanging on there. Right, and Taco's Taco though. You know what I mean? Like I feel like both of them would definitely get picked up for whatever reason by a different organization if they didn't sign them. So I feel like they have to hang on to them, even if it's not the best basketball decision per se. That was the point I was trying to make with my dumb guy way of making it. So yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I agree with you thoroughly. Is there, I mean, I think we could probably leave it there. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover? Yeah, I don't think so. I feel like we'll get a lot of information this week in terms of just rosters, who's coming, more people at the facility. We will keep an eye on all of that. Once again, everybody, we thank you all for listening. Uh, big shout out to Angela, TV devotee, who left us a really nice review and who won our Jason Tatum bobblehead. We will do that again. We really appreciate anybody who leaves a five-star review. Leave us a a nice little note. They mean a lot. We, We thank you guys all for those. And we will talk to you on Thursday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.